You guys see that guy walking away? Oh, wait. Sorry, I'm not supposed to call attention to you, right? That's right. All right. My mistake. Actually, the reason I do that is kind of neat. We were chatting backstage. Uh, that's Steve Schaefer. And um, he serves on our worship arts, or well, yeah, worship arts leadership team and uh, on the tech side. And uh, I walked over to him. It's nice and dark. Usually I'm not very good about pulling off jokes because I have a lousy poker face. But I just walked up to him and I said, hey, Steve, uh, did they tell you about that stunt we're going to pull this morning? He ripped his headset off and he said, what stunt is that? I said, well, you know. He's like, ah, right? Yeah. He said, don't do that to me. (laughs) I said, why is that? He's like, I've been up since 2.30 this morning because I took the Guatemala team to Detroit. So that's the dedication you have of these people that are serving backstage that you don't even see. Yeah. Yeah. 2.30. Okay. You have an excuse. Uh, My name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. I'm delighted to have you worship with us this morning. Uh, We're beginning our summer series, and that's exciting because... Uh, the sun is shining and you all are hopefully shining as well, either sunburned or tanned or whatever. And uh, we are delighted to have you worship with us. We're going to work our way through the book of Proverbs and I'll explain that here in a little bit. But I also want to say thanks because my family and I, we uh, took a couple weeks to travel down to Missouri. Uh, some of you have heard about some of our adventures with uh, my dad having Alzheimer's and uh, being moved into a full-time uh, care facility, uh, specialized, dedicated to that sort of thing. So we had a good visit with both sides of the family, hers and mine, and we were able to see everybody we needed to see, and we didn't have any um, flus or flats or any other Fs along the way. So we were happy about that. And uh, here's a picture of my extended family, brother, sister, mother, father, cousins, Everyone like that are showing up on the screen right about now. Poosh. There is a picture. I can see it on this screen behind me. Can you guys put that slide of my family up real quick? Because I am sweating bullets. (laughs) Ah, there we go. There it is. There's our extended family. Uh, My dad is in the middle. This is the facility he's in. My mom behind him. My brother and I. uh, That would be to... Well, whatever. He's wearing the red shirt. I'm wearing the striped shirt. And my sister in stripes on the end. It's all their cousins. This is how they line up. You'll see Ezra and Zion somewhere in the mix. Here's the lineup of all the cousins. And so they had a great time. This is their age group. And you know when there are a bunch of cousins in the room, you never know what's going to happen. All sorts of weird stuff happens. But this was one of the more controlled moments. A bit of competitive uh, arm wrestling and other adventures like that. So we had a good time, and everyone did really well. So thank you for your support for us and our family as we uh, traveled along, visited our family, and walked that journey with my dad. He's doing well. Many people are saying, oh, how's he doing? Well, he's doing as well as he can, right? I mean, he has a disease. It's debilitating. His health is declining. uh, But my mom is in good spirits, and, of course, she faces the challenges of Uh, taking care of him and trying to maintain all the stuff that he did at one time. And that's pretty much impossible. So there are a number of things that 
uh, she can't do now that she used to be able to do. But as far as it goes, they're doing pretty well. So thank you. Thank you for your concern. As a kid, you know, a lot of people used to talk to me about my dad. And uh, one of the things they would say to me is, man, your dad is so wise. And I would sit there and go, great. <laughs> you know, does that mean I get ice cream today? I don't know. What do you mean he's so wise? Like, does that mean he's smart? Does that mean he's got a lot of, like, intelligence? Um, is this something that's only reserved for, you know, old people like parents? Or what is this? What do you mean my dad is so wise? Is wisdom reserved only for the intellectual elite? I knew he's a doctor. I knew he's smart. I knew he... You know, had a PhD and he taught and stuff like that. But what do you mean he's wise? What does it mean to be wise? Today and throughout the next several weeks, my hope is to unpack that for you. To make it a little bit more clear, accessible, and meaningful to say this is what wisdom is. And not just to define it, but instead to whet your appetite so that it becomes desirable as well. That you really, really want it. And so as we go today, we're going to begin the book of Proverbs. And um, I'm going to start in chapter 1. I won't go through all of the Proverbs. But basically, we're going to look at various topics. But today, the idea is basically going to ask the question, well, wisdom. What is it? And how do I get it? What is wisdom and how do I get it? So these are my two main points today. You'll see them up on the screen right now. If you're taking notes, these are the things that are going to walk the sermon forward. Wisdom, question one, what is it? Question two, how do I get it? Under each question, there will be three sub points, A, B, and C. So you can leave room for that if you're wanting as well. I think I have a slide of those subpoints. This is just to give you the roadmap up front so you can follow along uh, throughout the way. The first, the first three categories of wisdom are these. That is practical, moral, and personal. It is practical, moral, and personal. And then secondly, how do I get it? These are the answers to that question. We'll unpack them here. It is you have to want it. You have to be willing to receive it, and you have to go to the source. Want it, willing to receive it, and go to the source. So wisdom, what is it, and how do I get it? Uh, what, what you can do if you didn't get a chance to write those down is we have the slides online, we have the sermon online that gets put up pretty quick, usually by Monday. So if you're interested, you can always follow up with that as well. But today let's begin with Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This is the beginning of the book, and the author is taking pains to sort of frame the book. Before I read it, let me, I'll just explain it. It's going to start with his main theme, and then that's at the beginning, and then he'll come back to that at the end in Proverbs 31. So whenever someone starts a book, often what they say at the beginning and what they say at the end is really important. This is what they're trying to emphasize. So you want to pay particular attention to this at the start. It's what literary device called an inclusio because it shows up at the beginning and then back at the end. And everything else is sort of framed or hemmed in 
between uh, those two brackets. So beginning in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here is the summary statement, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom. What is it? What is it? We all hope for it for our kids. We wish we were, would have had it when we were younger. And yet it is that elusive sort of ethereal, mystical thing that none of us can wrap our hands around or minds around. Fortunately for us, the Bible tells us it's a little bit different than that. In fact, wisdom is not just some intangible ethereal force, but instead it's a very practical reality. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. We're in Michigan, so you guys have heard of Henry Ford. Uh, There's also another fellow by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. Have you heard of him? Okay, he was an electrical genius. Some of the engineers are shaking their head. Yes, very good. What happened is Mr. Ford does his assembly line thing and stuff like this, but he needs power to work the plant. So he has a bunch of big generators put in to make things go. And one day, all of a sudden, these generators came grinding to a halt. With a major operation on the line, he's looking around and asking his mechanics and repairmen, hey, can you guys do anything? He's like, no, no, we can't fix this. And he calls this guy named Steinmetz, and Steinmetz comes around, and he tinkers for about 10 minutes, and then he leaves. And all of a sudden, Ford flips the switch, and boom, everything comes back to life. He's like, great. A few days later, Ford gets a bill for $10,000. Ford's like, wow, what is this? This is significant. So he writes to him, asks him if he can explain the bill. And this is what Steinmetz said. He said, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, (laughs) $9,990. Ford paid the bill. (laughs) That's wisdom. Wisdom, in a biblical sense, is knowledge applied. It's not just, I'm up in an ivory tower and I can come to you with really high-sounding philosophical arguments about theories from long ago. But instead, it's a specific knowledge that helps you to do something. It is knowledge applied. Wisdom is not just esoteric intellectual stuff. It is real-world problems directed along the path by God's insights. It is practical applied knowledge. In the Old Testament, if you, cha- if you chase down this word uh, called chokmah, what you'll see is not only is it applied to sages and the like, but it's also applied to skilled craftsmen, to carpenters and other things like this, people who know how to do their job. 
Because it's one thing to read about woodworking in a book, but it's another to actually be able to get it exactly right. That is wisdom applied. So first of all, the first thing I want you to note when we talk about wisdom this summer is this, is that wisdom is practical. It is not this, you know, heady theological thing that's only left up in the clouds for the elite, but instead it's something that you can actually do. And that's really important to me. And the reason is this, is I hear today, I mean, the pendulum swings, right? It goes back and forth, back and forth. But right now, one of the themes I hear in current Christianity is, hey, you know what? Theology, smology, whatever. Let's all just love Jesus, get along, and be on the same page, and show me what to do or how to live my life. I don't care about wisdom. I won't want head knowledge. I just want to know what to do. But really, that's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, you know, it's not that you just go out and figure it out. But there's actually some instructions that you follow along beforehand that can help you and guide you in knowing what to do. This is not just random information for the head knowledge. Wisdom is real stuff that can help you in real life, in relationships, in work, in finances, in your home, Everywhere, wisdom applies. It covers the whole gamut of the human experience. So don't isolate this or fluff it off or throw it away and say, oh, no, no, that's just for, you know, that's head knowledge. That doesn't apply to me. No. Wisdom is real, and it applies to every single person. It is based on truth and instruction found in God's Word, and it is meaningful and applicable to your everyday life. That is wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So first of all, what is it? It is practical. Second of all, what is it? It is moral. It is moral. Wisdom is defined as the art of justice, of playing fair, and doing right. The art of justice, of playing fair, and doing right. Um, right? That sounds totally zen, doesn't it? That's kind of cool. The art of justice. Here it comes. Ready? It's been a few weeks. Star Wars. (laughs) It almost sounds like the great Jedi masters of Obi-Wan or Yoda, right? They're instructing you in the light side of the force of wisdom and knowledge and justice and equity and all these moral categories that should guide a genuine person. That is, in a sense, what wisdom is. Not only is it practical, but it's also intangible. It's moral as well. Proverbs um, 1.3, which we just read, says this, To receive instruction in wise dealing, in what? What is wise dealing? Righteousness, justice, and equity. That is wisdom. A true judge is just, is equitable, is righteous. Wisdom is moral. It is ethereal. It is something beyond the tangible as well. Now, if I left it right there and we stopped, we would say, oh, cool. Wisdom, the force, the light side. Woo! You know? And that would leave us in the realm of Star Wars or Eastern mysticism or meditation or whatever else. But it would be completely separate or foreign to our way of thinking within Christianity. It would be much like this popular self-help sections of our bookstores that 
tell you there is some good out there, but don't exactly specify what that is. Ours is different, however. Our wisdom is not only practical and, per- and, and, and moral, but it is also personal as well. It is not just intangible, but it is wrapped up in a single person. Now, as a New Testament believer, immediately, and rightly so, you're going, oh, Jesus, right? But it actually starts, in a sense, in the Old Testament, even before the person of Christ is fully developed. Thus, in Proverbs 3.19, this is how we begin to learn. This is how the sage who has never heard of Jesus, who Jesus has not come yet, this is, this is how the sage thinks of wisdom. He says, The Lord, by His wisdom, founded the earth. By His wisdom, founded the earth. And by understanding, He established the heavens. Job, another form of wisdom literature, chapter 12, verse 13, says it like this. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. In other words, not only is wisdom a practical skill, not only is it a moral value, but it's also an attribute of God. It is part of his person, his essence, his being, and his makeup. He is this thing. God is all-wise. God is all-knowing. God is. Thus, wisdom, the fount of it, the store of it, is in God. And when you hear the biblical writers speak in this way before Christ, what else do they say? But the fear of God is the beginning then. Because you start with God. They can't say Jesus is wisdom yet. He hasn't come yet. But what they say is the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, what happens is this. God creates the world. And we know from Scripture that He makes us in His image. But He also, as He creates, as any creator would, makes things in conformity with Himself, according to His design, according to His plan, and according to His structure. Thus, when He makes the world, woven throughout its principles is the concept of wisdom. In that sense, there was the great scientific thinker named Isaac Newton who said, you know, when I do science, I just think God's thoughts after him. (laughs) Because within natural creation, we see the revelation of God. We see specifically his wisdom woven throughout. Thus, when you want to live in sync with the universe, that sounds Eastern, but that's actually biblical in this way, you begin not with some mystical force, but with a personal creator who took his attribute and based his project on that design so that he himself is woven throughout it, so that when you line up with him, thus you are lined up with the principles that he put into play Throughout the world. Thus, when you follow these principles, things generally go better for you. Because God designed the system to work in this way. This is another reason for you to study theology. Some people say, hey, theology is not practical, it's just whatever. No, 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 no. The more you understand about God, 
The more you know how He works, the better you understand His creation and everything else, and therefore you can fit in line with that and set up your life accordingly. As you know Him, so too may you align with Him, and thus your life will function in sync or in harmony with His universe. This is the personal aspect of wisdom. It is practical. It, it is knowledge applied. It is moral. It is just and righteous. And it is personal. It is based on God Himself, His attributes woven throughout our world. Justice or wisdom is uh, practical, it is moral, and it is personal. This is wisdom. Well then, how do I get it? How do I get it? There was a young man once who came to the great uh, Stoic philosopher Socrates, and he said to him, Hey, Socrates, I am interested in wisdom. Can you teach me? And Socrates said, Come with me. And so they went down to a river, and Socrates took the young man up to about chest height, plunged him in and pulled him out. And Socrates said to him, what would you like? The young man said, wisdom. Yeah. Socrates said, okay. And he plunged him in and held him down a little bit longer. He pulled him out. He said, okay, young man, what would you like? And the fellow said, knowledge, Socrates. Socrates said, okay. And he plunged him in and he held him down. And he held him down. <laughs> He held him down, and then he pulled him up, gasping for breath, and said, what would you like? And the guy's like, to breathe, air, give me air. And Socrates said, good. When you want wisdom and knowledge as bad as you want air, come back to me. In order to get wisdom, you have to want it. Desperately, deeply to desire it. The Proverbs say it like this in chapter 16. It says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Way better to choose understanding than silver. In fact, wisdom, Proverbs tells us, is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom above all else. Though it costs you everything that you have, get wisdom. It is like air. It is like the breath that you breathe. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. To get wisdom, you've got to want it. You really do. In our culture today, I'm not sure that that's a real value. What do you want? Money. You know, I can buy wisdom. I can pay somebody else to do it for me. What do you want? Sex appeal. What do you want? Flashy. Big. Better. What do you want? Power. Influence. Recognition. What do you want? Popularity. What do you want? Wisdom? Do you really want wisdom? Would you give up all that other stuff to get it? How bad do you want wisdom? Would you sell everything 
to get wisdom? That's how bad Solomon wants it. That's what Socrates says to do. What about you? How bad do you want wisdom? This book, Proverbs, it's essentially a dunking. The sage is going to take you down to the river and hold you under until you are gasping for breath. And when you finally realize what it is you really want, he's going to pull you up and say, okay, now, which way? Now that I've shown you the path that lies before me, you tell me which way are you going to go? You can choose the way of destruction, that is the fool, or the way of life, that is the way of the wise. Here's a sign. This is what he's saying. Through all these contrast and parallel statements, he'll say, hey, the wise does this, but the fool does this. The so-and-so does this, but the so-and-so does this. And they're in a very dramatic and contrastative and antithetical sort of way. He says, which way will you choose? I am laying this right before you. Figure it out. Would you like to go the way of the wise? Things will go well. You'll be in harmony with creation. You'll be in sync with God and his attributes. And things will come together. Would you like to go the way of the fool? <laughs> Good luck. You're going to die. Here's the story of Proverbs. The sage has come to his son and he's thrown down the gauntlet. Wait a minute. What's a gauntlet? I use that saying all the time and I wrote that into my sermon this week and I was like, what? Wait a minute. Hold on. What's a gauntlet? Does anybody know what a gauntlet is? Okay, I see it like three hands. That's good. A gauntlet, when I looked it up online, was this. It's basically like originally it was a French word for a steel glove that the knights would wear going into battle so their hands wouldn't get chopped off. What they do before they challenge someone is they would take this glove off, they'd walk up to them and throw it at their feet. And if the other person accepts the challenge to the duel, they pick up that glove and hand it back to them. Say, okay, let's go. That's what it means. So in that way, I think that's what the author of Proverbs is trying to do. He's got his young son with him there. It's the sage he's teaching. And he's throwing down the challenge and saying, hey, kid, what are you going to do? Pick it up. Show me which way you're going to go. Are you going to walk away, the fool, or are you going to pick it up? Maybe the wise, the strong, the brave. The choice is before you. And what we see in the book of Proverbs are really these three attitudes uh, portrayed the whole time. There's the attitude of the wise who are like, yeah, we're going to accept this instruction. We're going to accept this wisdom. There's the attitude of sort of the middle of the road guy, the undecided, like, well, I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. His life can go either way. And then there's the attitude of the fool. And the fool is just like, talk to the hand. I am not interested. Whatever you have to say, whatever, I'm doing what I want. I don't care. That's the fool. And all throughout the book, the author is using these intentionally confrontational ways of teaching. Now, I know for us, that can be a little rough because we're like, hey, can we say it nicey? You know, nicey, nicey? Because <laughs> we don't really like to put people on the spot, but this kind of puts you on the spot. It's like, dog, return to the vomit. Are you sure? <laughs> it's a little rough. But here's his method. This is his strategy. This is the way he's teaching. And he's saying, look, I'm, I know we all mess up. We make mistakes. We all play the fool at some point in time. That's true. 
But in order to make my point, in order to communicate this truth, in order to help it come across, I want to dramatically put this contrast ahead of you so that you can see long term, here are the results. That's part of wisdom is seeing and anticipating the future. Not just looking at my current state, but saying long term, which way will this lead? What is the trajectory? In what movement or momentum is this headed? You know, it's not just a single individual isolated decision. All of these things come together and add up. They connect somehow. And God draws them together so that those who are faithful in Him making these decisions intentionally with His will in mind end up going down the right path. Because He's sovereign like that and He can do that. But for those who are like, no thanks, I don't want to listen. I said, okay, away you go. Down your path. See you later. The way of the wise and the way of the fool. The gauntlet has been laid down. Now, as I describe these to you, I know, I think, although I'm not omniscient, what's in your mind. Wait a minute, Jeremy. You said that you make good decisions that will go well for you. Well, I know a guy, or in my life, I know someone who's lived righteous and all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere. What happened to them? Not so in sync with the universe were they. Explain that one. Book of Job. There is other wisdom literature. Proverbs is not the only one. If it were, God could have stopped Revelation right there. But there are multiple bodies of wisdom literature put together so that Proverbs, what it does is it gives you the general rule. It gives you the idea, the principle. This is the normative pattern of things, but it's not a 100% guarantee. It's not a promise. There are exceptions, and the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes wrestle with that fact. What happens when someone does well and things don't go well for them? Explain that one. Ask Job. He can help. But for us, this summer, what we will do is we'll go through the book of Proverbs. So we will look at the principles, the general ideas. There are always exceptions, but this is the normative pattern of things. Base your life on this, and most likely you will do well, but you don't have to worry because in the end, God is just and He'll take care of it. There's your summary. So, wisdom. How do I get it? Well, first of all, you have to want it. You have to really want it bad. And secondly, you have to be willing to receive it. Willing to receive it. Proverbs 26.12 says it like this. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. In other words, when you start thinking you got it all figured out, you know you're going down the wrong path. <laughs> there is always more to learn. None of us know it all, and we all need help. There's always room for wisdom. Now, you understand your situation better than most people, but not as well as God. How do I get it? Well, you have to be willing to receive it. Proverbs says it like this. Listen to this contrast, this two different paths. Here it is, verse 12. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. That's one direction. But a wise man listens to advice. 
That's a totally different direction. How do I get wisdom? Well, you've got to be willing to receive it. You've got to want it, be willing to receive it. And third, you need to go to the source. Go to the source. Where do I start? Well, Job tells us, verse chapter 28. Job says this, he says, From where then does wisdom come? And where is the hiding place of understanding? God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. Because God has established, as, as I tried to uh, articulate earlier, the divine order of things, He is the starting place for wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Henry Ford knows, in order to make the system work, I should probably go to the guy who designed it. I've got all these you know, other people who work for me, and they charge a cheaper rate. But if I really want to get at the best knowledge, the most intimate knowledge, the person who knows this better than anything else, I should go to the original engineer, the system designer himself, Mr. Steinmetz. If I go to him, he can figure it out. When everybody else is befuddled as to what in the world is going on, because they've changed the oils and rotated the belts and whatever... This guy knows what's really going on inside. So too with God and wisdom. There are other teachers out there and they're good and they can be helpful and they give you input and good advice. But where is the best place to go? To God Himself. Go to the text. Go to the Holy Spirit. Go to Scripture. Listen. Understand. Want. Be willing to. And start there. That's where you find it. He knows it better than anyone else because he designed it. Go to the source. Well, provide an example of that. Here's my final illustration for you. First uh, Kings chapter three, verses five and following. This is that famous story of Solomon, uh, is one of Israel's greatest kings, who, not the greatest, who would be David or Jesus but one of the greatest who had the biggest kingdom, the most wealth, the most recognition. What, what did he do? This guy who was so successful. Well, what you will see is, through those points we outlined earlier, he did exactly that. He wanted wisdom. He desired it. He went to the source and he asked for it. He was willing to receive it. First Kings chapter 3. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said to him, Ask whatever you want and I shall give it to you. Money, fame, power, women, whatever. Ask. And Solomon said, in a very humble way, notice this is the way of the wise. He didn't say, I'm king, I'm the stuff, check me out. No. He said, wow, Lord, you have shown your great and steadfast love to your servant David. Man, look at the men who come before me. Wow. Look how faithful you've been to them. And because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart, there's where it starts, this moral aspect. You've kept for him his great and steadfast love and given him a son, me, to sit on his throne. It's not really mine, it's yours and his. And now, O oh Lord my God, you've made your servant king in the place of David, my father. Whoa, I am so little. I am but a child. 
I don't even know how to come in and go out. Lord, I don't know it all. You do. Your servant is in the midst of this huge job, this great people whom you've chosen, too many to be even numbered or counted. What can I ask? The only thing I want more than anything else is this. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people so that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this people. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. If you read through this text and other translations, one of the neat things is we, we expect Solomon to say, give me wisdom, right? Because we know that story. Give me wisdom. But he didn't say that. This tra- text actually translates it in understanding mind, but if you follow it up in the New American Standard Bible and some others that are even more literal, it says a listening heart. What Solomon asked for here was a tender heart. To be able to hear God and remain humble so that he could know and discern and understand. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not knowledge or anything else, but instead a humble and contrite heart. When Solomon asks God for this, God is pleased and God says, yes, you bet, I will give it to you and so much more. You got it. You are exactly on the right path. You are not a perfect person, but this is the way it works. When you ask, I supply. And so, in 1 Kings chapter 10, this is the result. It says now, 1 Kings chapter 10, if we have this slide. It says this, Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. I'll refrain from any jokes there. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much good gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Perplexing indeed. And Solomon answered all of her questions, and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he'd built, the food at his table, seating of his officials, attendance of his servants, or clothing, his cupbearers, burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the world, man, there was no more breath left in her. It was amazing. And this was a queen of Egypt, okay? She's used to some pretty cool stuff. Pyramids, finks, etc. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and wisdom, but I didn't even believe the reports until I came on my own and my eyes had seen it. And behold, not even the half of it was told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men Happy are your servants. Look how it blesses the people around the wise. It spills over so that you continually, they continually stand before you and hear wisdom. Here's the result. Look at this. This is particularly important. This should be the end goal of all things. Verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute, oh, there's moral justice 
and righteousness. As a result of the wisdom that Solomon has, God has graciously given Solomon, people praise God. The people around him are blessed. It spills over. I think this is what Bill Hybels is trying to say in this whole leadership thing. It's, hey, look, if the leaders are wise and they do well, it blesses and benefits everybody. And the Queen of Sheba comes here and says, whoa, look at this. These blessings are outrageous. You are so wise. How can you do this? And Solomon says, I can't. God did. He gave this to me. I asked and he provided. And she says, okay, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's the point of wisdom. And that's the point of life. That it all comes back around and blesses God. That is truly wise. This is how the author of Ecclesiastes then concludes his book, To Say As Much. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. You know, there's a lot of teaching out there. There's all kinds of stuff you can get into. Making many books, there's no end. And much study is wearisome on the flesh. But here's the end. The end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. All comes back around to this. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's wise. That's the way of life. Psalm 110, 111.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who practice it have good understanding. And what's the result? His praise endures forever. Look, I know we've all played the fool at some point in time. And lucky for us, we're a bit further down the path than this, than this uh, sage here. We see Jesus. <laughs> and so we see wisdom embodied in the flesh. And we can say, oh Lord, what a fool am I. Please take him instead of me. Let him be my wisdom and my righteousness and my atonement. And then I'll be good. And as a result, my life will go down the path that you have chosen that leads to life for your glory. God, let me be found in him. Today, if you're here for the first time, you've not heard of Jesus, afterwards we're going to have people up front. You can come talk to them. They can pray with you. We are glad to tell you about Him. We assure you, He has a wisdom known only to Himself. And God is good. Man, your dad is really wise. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? At the end of your life, just looking back, we all make decisions. Some we regret, some this, some that, whatever. Wouldn't it be nice if someone said, dude, that guy is wise. If you had a question, I would talk to him. He is really, really wise. Why? Because he knew what wisdom was and he knew where to get it. Desire it. Long for it. And go to the source. Father, you are so good. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace. We praise you for your power. We begin this journey down the path through the book of Proverbs. We pray that you give us wisdom. James says, if we lack, let us ask. Lord, we lack. Do you see us, Lord? We know you do. We lack. You know how much we lack. God, give us grace. Give our church grace. 
Give our community grace. Give our leaders grace. Give our parents grace. Give our marriages grace. Lord, give us in every area of our life your wisdom. And then, Lord, help us not to ignore it and walk down the path of the fool, but instead to be willing to listen, to humble our hearts and follow your ways. For this we ask and we trust your reply. In Jesus' name, amen.